And I recognize there's some people in this room this morning. That you, we, we come in here and we start singing some songs and the lights get real low and the band will build up and the band gets soft. And then, you know, all, all of a sudden you see people like raising their hands and you're like, what are they trying to ask the teacher for? You're trying to figure this whole thing out. But we believe that as we come here, we don't just come into a building as just people singing some good songs and hearing a feel-good message and walking out. We come here to encounter the presence of a mighty and holy God. And we believe that he is worthy of our worship. And I get that may seem strange. I get that may seem weird. I get that it may seem different. But can I tell you something? The last thing that I ever want in my life is for somebody to look at me and say, hey, he was normal. He was, he was ordinary. He, he, he fits squarely inside the box that everybody else thought he should fit in. And can I, it's not false advertisement either. There's nothing on our website that says we're normal people. There's nothing that says we, we're going to fit everything in your comfort zone. Because we serve a God who is so much bigger than that. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? All right, if you believe it, go ahead. You can look at somebody behind you, somebody around you. Give him my title for this morning. Say, this is weird. Say, this is weird. Give my title. Come on. This is weird. And there's some things, you know, I I don't know if you really pay attention to how much weird things there are in life. One of the things that we're experiencing right now that's a little weird is uh, we're teaching. We have have a first grader and a third grader in our house. and, and, And so we're trying to teach them, you know, different layers of the English language. And uh, the English language is pretty weird, right? Like, I, I'm, like a couple weeks ago, I'm telling Noah, I said, you need to go upstairs and get another pair of pants. He says, you want me to get two? I said, no, just one. Or, or, or we're, we're trying to teach Noah to read and he's looking at certain things and, and we're trying to teach him about these things called silent letters, right? Like there's, there's just these letters that just got thrown into words for no, no reason whatsoever. It's like someone made a typo and just decided to leave it there. Like, tell me why the word thumb needs a B at the end of it. Just tell me why. There's some things that we're finding are, are, are weird. And, and I, I don't know if you've ever even thought of the fact, like, you, know, like you'll, you'll just look at stuff in life and like, man, that's weird. But weird is relative. Some of you, the only thing you heard me say was weird is your relatives. Right? No, but we, weird is relative because weird for one person can be completely different than weird for another person. Right? Some of you have lived in like an apartment building. Some of you have gone off to college. Some of you have been married. (laughs) And you realize that what you thought was weird, maybe not everybody thought was the same kind of weird. And and what I've I've learned too is we also have different thresholds of what's normal, what's weird. Amanda and I, we watched a a TV show um, during COVID and we watched like five seasons. Did anybody like just binge watch like an entire like seven season show during COVID? Nobody? Are you guys awake on me? You're here, right? Somebody's pointing out their wife. But we, we, we started binge watching this show and, um, and we got to like the, the end. I think it was like six or seven seasons. And, and I was like, man, that show really got weird around season three and four. And Amanda looks at me like, that's when it got weird, not when it started with people coming down from space and they're like in a futuristic world with cavemen and stuff. Like that wasn't weird. It was like all of a sudden, now when they went back to space, things got weird. But we have these different ideas of what weird is, what's acceptable, what's inside of our comfort zone. And in fact, 
Many of us, we, we probably have a friend, maybe a family member, you know, somebody in your friend group that it's like, you know, they're, they're just weird enough to be different, like you know they're different, but not weird enough that you can't be friends with them anymore, right? Anybody have that in your friend group? And if you can't think of that person, just saying, you are that person, right? Like people just beat to, to their own drum and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? I, I was reading our, our scripture for this week and I was telling some people, there's so many different directions that I could have gone with, with where to take this text. And that's the, the, the richness of the word of God is that sometimes you can read it and you can get one thing from it. The next time you, you read it and God points something else out to you, he reveals something else out. It doesn't change the meaning of the text. It doesn't mean that we're, we're like interpreting it in our own way. It just means that the Holy Spirit can reveal differently. And one of the things that as I, I was reading through this text, there's actually some very weird stuff if you were looking at it just purely from a natural standpoint. Just like, you're gonna see it. I'm just gonna go ahead and give you that warning. But what if it's not the things that we think are weird that are actually weird? What if it's not the, the things that we, we look at in this, this narrative here and, and we judge like, oh, there, there it is, that's it. But what if it's something else that God wants to get our attention with this morning? And so if you have your Bible, we're gonna be opening up to Mark chapter five. Again, we've been journeying through the, the gospel of Mark for the past few months. And uh, I think at this point, We'll finish up in the next decade or so. But there's, there's so much in the, the book of Mark. You see, Mark was kind of a frenetic writer. He liked to go from like one story to the next and, and one moment to the next. And oftentimes there's like little random details that are either there or aren't there. And, and, and we get all these different stories of what Jesus was doing as he was founding his ministry here on earth. And if you were with us last week, we talked about in Mark chapter four, how Jesus took his disciples and where did he march them into? Not clear waters, into a storm. And even through that storm that Jesus had the authority to stand up and look at the wind and the waves and say, hey, 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 peace, be still. And the wind and the waves, they ceased. And here we are as, as Jesus is, is with his disciples and they've come through this storm and they're crossing through to the other side we pick up here in Mark chapter five. And it says this in verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, if you read this passage, this passage is actually the same story is told in some of the other gospels. And in Matthew 9, it actually tells this story. And it says that they sailed to, to the, the area of the Gadarenes. And, and I just want to let you know that that's not a, a typo. That's not a contradiction. It's basically, there was a city called uh, Garasa. There was also a, a larger city called Gadara. It's, it's kind of like we say, like you're from Lansdale, but you're also like, you go anywhere else in the country, like where are you from? Philly, right? Because there's no, there's no point in, in getting super specific with it. And so here they are, the disciples, they sailed through the storm at nighttime, no less. They finally get to the other side and they're in this, this area of the Gerasenes. And this is a Gentile region. What that means is this. They weren't Jewish people. In this area, there was a lot of different religions that were going on, a lot of different teachings that were happening. This was like a, a, a Greco-Roman society where, where there's the goddess of this and the god of that, and they're building temples and statues and worshiping and bowing down to all these different things that we just look at as mythological characters. And here in this, this area, in the Decapolis, when they hit 
the other side, we see what happens in verse two. It says, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. I think what's interesting here is this. As you can see so many times over and over again in scripture, that when there is a, a, a season or a moment of testing, so, so, so just think Jesus going out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, not eating, he's fasting, and the devil himself is coming in and he's testing him. And he comes back into ministry here. And I think it's the same thing that, that Jesus is bringing the disciples out of the other side of the storm. And here all of a sudden comes an opportunity for ministry. He said, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. And you see, in Jewish culture, they would actually have to stay quite a, a distance back from this man because anything to deal with tombs, anything that you touched was unclean. And it says he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. That means they had tried, but at some point he had just kept breaking through, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched through the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, screaming, yelling, in terror probably. And he was cutting himself with stones. There was this self-mutilation that was happening here. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, I want you to get this picture that Jesus is getting out of the boat and no soon as his foot steps out on the land, there comes this man who has been terrorizing this region. This man that, that probably grew up just like any one of us, that somewhere along the way he got an unclean spirit, aka he was demon-possessed. And all of a sudden this, this demon that's coming, this spirit that's coming is causing him to act out of character. If you look at the context, the fact that they were trying to restrain him and chain him, probably meant that he had murdered many people, that he had harmed many people, that this unclean spirit was, was giving him the strength enough that no shackle could keep him down, and so they just decided to let him live out among the tombs on the outskirts of town. And as Jesus comes and he steps into this situation, even this demon-possessed man Though he was probably just running up because he saw the boat from afar, he probably went up to terrorize anybody who came. But the moment that he came up and he saw Jesus, something was different, he had to bow down. He fell to his knees. And it's this term in the Greek called proskuneo. And what I think is interesting about this term is this term is used over and over again in the New Testament to define worship. That the very presence of Jesus caused this demon-possessed man to come and bow down and declare you are the God. You are the most high. You are the holy one. And it says this in verse seven, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. I adjure you by God. This is like, I, I swear to God, I, I, I'm, I'm trying anything. Do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And what's happening here is this, is, is this demon-possessed man, the demons are speaking through him and, and they're crying out and they recognize in that moment that Jesus needed no introduction. 
that these spirits recognized exactly who Jesus was. He was the son of the most high God. And he's declaring it in this region that worships so many other gods and false deities and statues and structures that here in this moment, no, there is only one true king in this place. And his name is Jesus. And I know you have the authority. I know you have the power. So, so please, please, by anything, by God the Father, would you just please not torment me? In Matthew, it actually tells this story, and it says that the demons speak through this man, and they say, it, it don't, it, it's not the time yet. Have you come to torment me before the time? What I think is interesting about this is that the demons have better theology than any of us. Some of you just got a little offended. These demons, they've gone through the book of Isaiah and they know who Jesus is. They know the prophecy of what he was to come to do, but they also know this, it's not yet time. And so they're, they're crying out to, to Jesus, what are you doing here? What are you gonna do to me? Don't torment me. Don't throw me into the pit of darkness where I know I'm gonna eventually go. And so the first point I want you to write down this morning is this, and it's simple, but it's poignant, is that Jesus is all-powerful. That even the demons, the demons that were strong enough to restrain this man, where he, he, he was bound out in these mountains in, in a crazed fit. He was doing things that were way beyond what he would naturally do in, his, in of himself. And even those demons, they come and they bow at the feet of Jesus. These demons, they know the word of God. They know, they know how God moves. They've witnessed it. In fact, in Revelation, we learn where these demons come from. And I don't know, some of you are like, I didn't come to church today to talk about demons. But in Revelation, it actually says that, that when Satan, Lucifer, turned his back on God and said, no, I deserve the worship. I deserve some praise. It says that he convinced one third of the angels to come and join him. And these angels, they, they, they've, they've witnessed God. They've, they've seen God speak the earth into existence. They, they were present. They were aware of the fact that God could part the waters, that, that God had set his people free. They've gone through the Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies to know that Jesus was coming to redeem and save these broken people. They even have a high emotional response to God. There are scriptures that say that, that even the demons tremble in fear before God. And what I think is, is, is it's really hard for us to look at sometimes is we judge ourselves as Christians based on this. I mean, I, I know the stories. I know a couple verses. I know about Jesus. And honestly, even maybe sometimes I'll come and get an emotional response in a heated moment, in a passionate moment. When the, when the band hits just right and they're playing that song that I really love and the temperature's just right in the room and the lights and everything go and I get the little goosebumps and we've reduced God to a feeling. But if the demons can have an emotional response, if the demons can have a response in, in knowing the right theology. There's gotta be something more. It's the fact that they have not submitted and surrendered themselves and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And say, hey, 
I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to just be intimidated by you. I want to be in relationship with you. And so the evaluation point for you this morning is, have you done that? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? And it's evident that Jesus is all-powerful. In fact, these last two weeks, we see that he's in complete control of the natural and the supernatural, right? And it's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to submit yourself to it. And I'm not just talking about a one-time decision. I'm not talking about one time at youth camp. I, I'm not talking about one time at church. I walk down the aisle or, or one time I raise my hand. I'm talking about on a Tuesday when work is crazy. I'm talking about on a Thursday when your kids are driving you nuts. I'm talking about on a Friday when the bank account looks empty. I'm talking about when you're sitting in the doctor's office and the bad diagnosis comes forth. Are you submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And it's not just something that you know. It's not just something that you're waiting for that, that goosebump feeling to come. But it's in high or low that I submit myself to Jesus because he is all powerful. Everything bows at his command. Let's continue. In verse nine, it says, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. This is kind of when it gets a little crazy. You see, a legion in this time in the Roman era it was probably around 6,000 men. 6,000 soldiers would form up what was known as a legion. This is like the highest denomination of how you would separate out soldiers as they were going off to battle and hear this enemy. The demon speaks out and says, hey, we call ourselves legion because we are many. You know what's interesting, though? is the enemy will work on our terms. What I mean by that is this. The enemy speaks back and says a, a, a term that was in their vernacular, a term that was familiar and intimidating to them. We are legion. We are many. We are much. And you know what we never find in Scripture? How many demons there actually were, how many spirits there actually were inside this man. We know there was probably more than one, yes. But sometimes I believe the enemy will distort the facts and speak in a language that we understand to cause fear and panic and dread. And even in the face of Jesus, this demon is looking and trying to puff himself up, make himself look tougher. We're going to find out, though, just a spoiler alert, it does not matter. Verse 10, it says, and he begged him earnestly. That means he was sincerely, he was begging, crying out not to send them out of the country, which I think is interesting. So, so we kind of talked about this. They had sailed to the other side, out of this Jewish region, out of the area that would worship the one true God, into this area of Decapolis that, that was worshiping all these false pagan gods, these, these different statues and spirits and things like that that were out there. They were worshiping and bowing down. Why do you think the demons didn't want to leave that area? Because that area had opened themselves up to inviting other things that are contrary to God. In the church world, that's what we call it, like leaving an open door. Making room for the enemy. 
I'm not trying to scare you, intimidate you, but I, I do think it's healthy and helpful for us to step back and evaluate what things are we welcoming into our lives, what things are, are innocent, and what things are more than just what we see. I'm just, there's some things, some movies, some places you go, especially around certain times of the year where people get in costumes and stuff, that I think it crosses a line. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think it crosses a line from innocence and just having fun into we are walking into the enemy's camp. We are opening up a door and inviting things in. And I think it's so significant that these demons would come in such a way that they have to beg to be able to stay in this place because in this place they've been welcomed. It says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. This is obviously, again, another Gentile region. Jews would not have come anywhere near the pigs. They were not seen as, as clean. And on this hillside, it says, they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us Enter them, which I think is interesting. You want to know how the enemy sees you? Just as significant as some pigs on the hillside. And he doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Like you, you can send us anywhere. Just send us to the pigs. We, we just, we want to be somewhere. Send us to the herd. Let us enter them. And, and says in verse 13, Jesus, he gave them permission. Nothing happens outside of the permission of Jesus and it says the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd. And now y'all are figuring out exactly why I called my message. This is weird. And it says in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Peter would not be pleased. There's actually a place that they, they've, they've, archaeologists have, have found where they, they've surmised that this actually happened that not far from this, this point of entry where Jesus would have gotten out of the boat, there was a cliff that would bank down into the water. And here in this moment, as soon as these demons, these unclean spirits are given permission to go into the pigs, immediately they cause destruction. And Jesus is sitting here, and I think it's such an interesting scenario. And, and, and I'm not going to like put myself in Jesus's feet or, or, or like put myself in his shoes or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not even going to like compare myself to Jesus. But I also know there's been moments as a parent where I'm like, my kids are begging for one thing. And I'm like, sure, sure. Just go do just something to get me, you know, like, and I'm just picturing Jesus in this moment. It's like, you want to go into pigs? Pigs, really? All right, go ahead. That's a little weird. That's a little different. That's a little outside of my box. I don't know if it's outside of your box. But I want to tell you this, write this down. Jesus doesn't fit in your box. Jesus doesn't fit in your box. This whole scenario is already outside of many of our comfort zones. I don't, I don't want to really talk about demons and unclean spirits and a man that was living among the tombs, gnashing his teeth and screaming out and crying out and being violently to the point where he's like shaking off these chains and this is weird. See, when I think of, when I think of Christianity, I, I think of like polished up and, and put on your Sunday best and, and, and go to church and you slip in and, and you, you sing a couple songs and you've got your, your hands down and, and if they, maybe if they sing the right song, you know, you kind of do the little holy, holy hand wave thing going to God. 
Pastor preaches a nice, clean, good message to encourage us and exhort us in the word, and then we walk out and we go about our lives. But Jesus don't fit in our box. Not everything is as clean cut as we would like it to be, especially in the American culture. Because we've gotten to this point where we've reduced Christianity to a self-help method. And as long as it helps me feel good and be a better person in life and achieve my goals and my ambitions, then it's great. But as soon as it gets a little bit outside my comfort zone, I don't know, I'm out. I don't know. That's a little weird. In fact, there's a lot of Christians, a lot of churches that have gotten to the point where they completely stop talking about the enemy. And hear me, I'm not here to say that we need to focus our time and our effort on the enemy. No, we need to worship God, but we need to recognize and be aware that there is an enemy that seeks to devour us, to take us out of the knees, that wants to wipe us out, that wants to erase every good thing that God has done in in our lives. If there was not an enemy, why would Jesus need to die on a cross? Why would Jesus spend three years of his life and so much of the New Testament casting out demons and evil spirits? And we were like, I don't know about that. I don't want to deal with that. But Jesus dealt with the supernatural. So we must as well. We are urged many times throughout scripture to recognize that the war is fought not in an earthly perspective, but in a spiritual realm. You ever read read the book of Ephesians? Go and read Ephesians 6. Go read Ephesians 5. Go read about this, the fact that that, that Paul is sitting here and he's telling the church of Ephesus, stop fighting with just your earthly weapons and realize that there is a spiritual war going on around you. I think what's interesting, though, too, is is that when, when Paul is saying this, if you grew up in Sunday school, you really know this. This is like the best part, right? He says, put on the armor of God. Right, and I remember like having like paper taped of like these is like this is like my you know like the whole armor, and we had it all like taped on, and and we like write all this kind of stuff, and this is great. But you know what's funny is is we can also get on the other hand because what it says to do with the armor of God is a lot of times we're like I got a war with the enemy, I got a war with the devil, I, I got to go and I got to be on the you know on the offensive and all this kind of stuff, and the whole armor of God has told us to do this. Put on the armor of God so that you can do what? Stand firm. (laughs) Just stand there. Just be able to survive. Just be able to, to make it. You don't have to fight the enemy. You have to be able to stand firm in the attacks of the enemy. Jesus has already fought and won the battle. So there's this this balance that we must have. Ephesians 6:12, it says. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of the present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil. This is one of those moments in Scripture that I think Jesus is, he's exercising his power and authority, especially in this day and age where all these evil spirits were more rampant, more pronounced, I guarantee you, you get on a plane and you fly out over different parts of the world, you're going to see more of this than what you think. And here it's more subtle. Here we're like, oh, we don't really see 
the demonic. We don't, we don't see the, the enemy at, at play. Have you watched the news? How can you sit there and look at a school shooting after school shooting after mass shooting after and, and all this and you, you see people who are committing these heinous crimes and think that's just a fallen human nature? That is a fallen human nature that is being uh, led and influenced by the enemy, demonic force. And sometimes it's okay for us to stand up and say, that is not right, that is demonic. That's the enemy at play. And we try and policy it away and we try and do all sorts of stuff that we want to do to make up for it. Just like these, these people were chaining the demons back and it did not work. And what we have to do is not come from this perspective, but we actually have to be aware. We have to stand firm and we have to speak the name of Jesus over these scenarios. There's a quote, maybe you've heard this before, by Charles Baudelaire. He said this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I think a lot of us live that way. Whether we realize it or not. Some of us wonder why our, our kids are, we brought them to church all the time, but they're just not living for the Lord. It's because there's an enemy that wants them to do anything else. I, I'm doing what God told me to do, but I'm facing some opposition. It's because there is an enemy who wants to distract you and deter you, who wants to get you discouraged to give up. In 1 John 4, there's a verse and it says this. It says that we should test every spirit. And what it, what it really means is this, is that we need to be discerning. Can I tell you what I think we've lost as a whole as Christians nowadays? It's discernment. We think that anything that tickles our ears is good and anything that isn't in, in agreement with what our opinions are is bad. But we need to be discerning to what's happening, to what is being taught, to what is being said, to what is being done all around us. Discerning of what's happening in our own lives, what's happening in our minds and our hearts. What is it that is just me getting distracted? And what is it that there is, there is a spiritual attack that's coming against my health, my spiritual health, my emotional health, my mental health, my marital health. What is it that is coming against me now? Am I discerning of it? Or am I just passing it off? That we should test every spirit. And I know, I'm just gonna say, I know some of y'all, you get on TV, you get on Instagram, you get on YouTube, you watch different churches and pastors and preachers and all that's fine. But I just wanna let you know, you best be discerning as well. Even as you come in here, I, I invite you, don't just trust everything that I say to, you know, at face value. I want you to be discerning, to dive in. Is this really what the Holy Spirit is saying through this passage of scripture? I want to be discerning. I don't want to just be force-fed whatever's happening. I think that's been the downfall of a lot of our country is that we've just been delivered a bunch of stuff, taken it and received it and said, yeah, I guess it's true because they said it. We need to be discerning. There's a danger for us to become under-spiritualized where we, we, we just pass everything off as carnality when there is a spiritual attack. But can I be real too? There's also a danger in becoming over-spiritual. I said it. 
Some of you, I don't know if you scroll through your reels and stuff, you'll see different, you know, churches and leaders and stuff. And it's like they over-spiritualize everything. Like, I've, I've talked to people and they do this. They do this with little things. It's like, I lied to my sister yesterday and a bird pooped on my windshield today. It must have been God judging me. It's like, no, you just, you, you parked under the wrong tree. And like we over-spiritualize things that maybe God never intended us for. We need to be discerning. Asking God, is this you? Is this not you? One good test is when you were looking at something, does it make more of Jesus or of man? In fact, there's actually some ministries, some people, some pastors that, that I've followed for a long time that I'm, I'm having a little bit of a struggle with lately because it seems like everything they put out now is so much more about man and, and, and the miracle that you're gonna get and, and how, how we're gonna overcome. And I'm like, where is Jesus in this? Does it make much of Jesus? Or does it make much of man? Let's continue. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And see, what happened is the people that were out here that were herding these pigs, these were hired men, most likely. And they were there just to keep watch through the middle of the night. And as they did, they're also, uh-oh, <laughs> we gotta go tell the boss what happened. They're never gonna believe this. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, this man that had a reputation, this man that was known to be crazed and out of control, the one who had legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And I want to ask you a question today. Are you more scared of God moving outside of your comfort zone or for God not moving at all? Are you more scared for what God's going to do that's like a little out there, a little beyond your, your comfort and your experience? Or are you more fearful, fearful of God not moving at all? You see these people, these, these people had come from the town. They knew the reputation. They'd seen the work that Jesus had done to restore this man. And instead of inviting him in to say, yeah, we got some other needs. We've got some other problems. We've got some other things that are going on. I know this is a little weird, but, but, but we want you. We invite you. They said, you got to leave. You got to get out of here. You are not welcomed. And this motive, this, this fear of losing control, this fear of not having all the power, this fear of greed, and, and look what you just did to my herd. Do you not know how much this is worth? Do you not know how much this is cost? But they send Jesus off. And I, I just want to be real. There's, there's a personal balance that I have to play in this, that Jesus, um, this, the Holy Spirit was kind of convicting me of this week. And I've played this balance because, you know, we gather here and, 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 and we come into church on a Sunday and it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to be going off the rails. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen churches. I've been to places. They're, you know, they're doing cartwheels and jumping off the balcony and stuff. And I'm like, this just doesn't, this seems a little much, God. And I'm not saying all that's right. There's this balance. I'm like, God, I, I, I'm praying. I'm desperate. We need you to move. We need you to come. In fact, I, I got face down on the ground before I came out here, and I just prayed, God, come, Holy Spirit, fill me. We need you here. We need you to move. But in my mind, there's just this little bit, but do it in a way that's not crazy. Right? 
God, I want you to move. I want you to do some awesome stuff. But can you do it like within the, like the context of what the American church is going to expect? Please. I mean, we got guests here, God. And in fact, I remember there, there's been times where I've br- I like used to bring a friend to youth group when I was in, in high school and I'd bring my, my friend and, and they'd show up and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, we sat next to the weird girl who like takes off her shoes and does like yoga poses while she worships. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know about this. Can we, you know, and, like, and I'm trying to distract and I'm trying to do everything else. And I'm, just, and I'm like, sometimes we can manipulate God right out of the situation by fearing what he's gonna do. And I'm just at this point now where I wanna keep things in order. You know, scripture says that God is not a God of confusion, that he's not a God of chaos, that he is a God of order. But whose order? Is it mine? Or is it his? And so God said, hey, I, I don't know what you want to do. But may you, you move in whatever way you see fit. And if it spooks some people off, it spooks some people off. But I want a real encounter with God. This is not a performance. This is not a show. This is not a spectacle. This is not an opportunity for us to showcase how great of a church we are. This isn't a moment for us to come together and together encounter the living presence of God and be forever marked and changed. So however you want to move, God, you are free to move here in this place. I'm no longer bound by the fear of what people think or my comfort zone or my expectations. God, you do what you want to do. continue. As he was getting into the boat, you see this? He, he listened to their request. I think it's interesting too. They get into the boat to do what? To go back right where they came from. Jesus went through a storm and he stepped out into the messy situation of this man's life. And he spoke healing and freedom. And he stepped back in the boat. And he sailed back home. And what a beautiful picture of the gospel this is to you and I. That Jesus will pursue us. That he is the one that leaves the 99 to chase the one. And that even when it came to this moment where he's no longer welcome. He says, my job is well done. I came for the one. And it says, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He wants to be one of his disciples, one of his followers. And it says that Jesus, he did not permit him. Why would Jesus not allow him to follow? One, he's got a different mission, which we're gonna see. And two, he's also knowing his greater mission, that if I bring this Gentile man with me, and I go back into Jewish territory, I'm already going to discredit much of the ministry that I'm doing. But he gives them this charge. He said to him, go home to your friends. Go home to all the people around you. Go home to all the people who know that the stuff that you've been through and tell them how much the Lord has done for them. This was not a magician. This was not even just another prophet. This was the Lord. God had done this for him. And tell him how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Can I tell you the real crux of the message this morning? It's weird to be changed and to be quiet. 
It's weird to be completely changed and transformed and to stay silent. It is weird that, 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 that people would come and, and they would see so much transformation happen in their life and go and tell nobody about it. Jesus gave the man an assignment and it's the same assignment he gives you and I because he knows this. He says to the, to the man, go, go tell him what God has done for you because your story of redemption will cause wonder and awe. There's some of you that you've got a whole different array of testimonies in your life of what God has done for you, in you, and through you. And I just wonder how silent you've been about it lately. I wonder how much people are marveling at God because of what he's done through you because you just can't keep silent about it any longer. What's weird to me is, is not that pigs ran off and, and, and demons went in. What's weird to me is that we are people who have been transformed and redeemed by the power of the gospel and we've lost the wonder of it all. What's weird to me is that we are the followers of Jesus who again and again told us to be on our guard against the enemy and we act like none of that exists. What's weird to me is that we can come in, in and out every week and we give time to church and we, we come and we, we pull our family in the car and, and sometimes it's miserable and we still get here. And we go through the motions, but we don't live it out. That's weird to me. And I feel like God is, is, is calling us, many of us in this room today, to say, stop playing games. God, I'm done going through the motions. I'm, I'm done just playing it week after week and, and coming in and coming out and not doing anything about it. God, I'm done with, with reading the book of all the things that you've done and, and all the ways that you move and acting like that doesn't exist now. God, I'm tired of, of, of your Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me and me choking it out and ignoring it. God, I'm tired of it. And it's easy for us now to look And if you look hard enough, you can see the darkness. You can see the enemy at work. And the problem is, is we become passive to it. And we've accepted it as the norm. When Jesus got out of his boat and in an instant said, get out, be gone. And we don't have that authority. We don't, we, we're not Jesus, we're not God, we're not the one that everybody bows before. But you know what? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So we can be discerning, we can be aware of what is happening and we can come in and we can, we can remind ourselves that this is not all lost, this is not all hopeless, but in the darkest situation, God's light still shines in the midst of a hopeless situation where a man seemed without any sort of regard for a life. Jesus can speak healing and freedom and redemption. And I think it's time for us to believe the same, to act like the same, Stop being the, the weird people that say we believe all this, but never live it out. God, I thank you that today your word challenges us. Honestly, God, it, it does, it gets outside of our comfort zone. God, I pray that we would just demolish that term altogether 
God, I don't want to have a comfort zone. I just want to have a Holy Spirit zone of, of wherever you lead, wherever you take me, whatever you want to do, I'm in, I'm game, I'm down, whatever it is. And God, I thank you that you are a God who redeems, you're a God who saves, you're a God who restores, you're a God who can speak to the enemy and cause him to flee. God, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose that God, even in the attack of the enemy that, that may come against us, that may come against our church, that may be coming against our nation, against different people in the world, Lord God, we know that you are still on your throne. God, I pray that you would give us discernment this week. Help us to be aware of where it is you're moving. Maybe areas that we're we're opening up to the enemy to come in and, and speak lies and to distract us and to discourage us. But God, I also pray that you would help us not to become people that are so oversaturated and worried about the enemy does this, the enemy that, the enemy's there. No, I pray that we'd be focused on you and where you are and what you do and your power. God, I pray that you would work through us in a mighty way. Lord, that we would have the heart to cross through the storm for the one that you love, that you care for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.